Welcome to CTK Ferndale. My name is Derek, for those I haven't met yet, and uh, very excited to be with you. I get to work with uh, various churches throughout the CTK network. Got to hang out with Rich on Monday. Uh, Eric and Rich and I got together. He looks great. Super excited to have him back. We got family members right here in the front row. Whoop, whoop. Welcome back, Warner clan. And uh, Tori and Taylor are on the uh, mission trip as well. So... Um, We've been going through the creed. The creed is this, uh, this statement showing that we are not alone. We're not unique. We actually stand on the shoulders of our forefathers who have gone before us, who have fought to pre preserve the faith and in, in many cases gave their very life so that we could have, have the truth of God, so that we could understand God's great plan. And God's great plan is full of great decisions that he put in place before the history of the world. And we'll look at some of those great decisions uh, today. But I wanted to share about an awful plan that I had that was full of horrible decisions. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever uh, devised or schemed something that was kind of just mischievous and awful, but but I had decided that if I could ever go back to my great-grandfather's house, that I would, I would try something. And so, sure enough, mom says, hey, load up the car, kids. We're going to go see great-grandpa. And we get in the car, and, and uh, um, we get there, and, and my plan is set in action. I know what I'm going to do. And so I sneak out with my little brother, and we go out to the, he had a back patio, and I had noticed previously that this patio was lined with little potato bugs. You know what potato bugs are? They're little little bugs that if you poke them, they just kind of curl up into a little circle, like a little sphere. And uh, I, I knew exactly what I would do. So I come and I, I lead my brother out and I sit him on this patio as the potato bugs are marching by. And one by one, I just pop, pop, pop until they just cuddled into themselves uh, in, in this little orb, this orb of goodness. I picked up these orbs and I handed them to my brother knowing exactly what he would do. My brother ate one, so I handed him another, and then another, and then another. Can you imagine these potato bugs breaking down in my brother's body becoming essentially part of him long before I knew Jesus and ever got to partake in holy communion, I got to lead a service of potato bug communion. If you ever wonder, if you ever wonder why we need Jesus, just try and raise toddlers. I was four years old, so... It is in us uh, to, to create mischief, to create uh, crazy plans, and we're going to look at, at God's plan uh, for us in spite of all the mischief that we do. When Jesus or, uh, arrives um, or, or when he moves into his earthly ministry, he starts by saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. If you've grown up in church, repent might be a dirty word, but repent is the most invitational word that, that is saying, stop doing things your way and learn to do things my way. Repent means don't 
lead a self-led life. Uh, believe means understand God's way of living. So, so repent is turning from self, and belief is turning towards God. Uh, the kingdom of God is near. When I was wrestling with the reality of Jesus, I read through the book of Acts, and uh, I saw in the Gospels, Jesus died on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. And in Acts 6, Stephen is, is, is being martyred. He's having rocks hurled at him. And he says to Father, forgive uh, them. And I, I, I don't understand this type of forgiveness. I'm, I'm looking, I'm going, who can believe in God like this? this? This type of faith I just don't get. And and then I come to see that his clothes are, are laid at the feet of this man named Saul. And then later, Jesus himself appears to Saul and, and changes his entire life. And, and this might seem like good news or exciting news, but all of a sudden I was like, oh no. If, if God can change Saul's life, maybe he could change mine. And you might wonder, why is that bad news? It's, it's, it was actually terrifying news because if God could change Saul's life, and he could change my life, then I had a decision to make. The decision was, did I want to continue living life on my own with a, suppo- with a supposed level of control, or did I want to hand my life over to an unseen God? This is the 30th year anniversary of Christ the King. Christ the King started uh, in Laurel uh, 30 years ago, 1988. Uh, the founding pastor was named Steve Mason. Steve married me, hired me, actually used to say all the time that the power to act is not released until a decision has been made. The power to act is not released until a decision is made. And you have a life full of decisions ahead of you. A lot of people don't understand what this book contains, but but the Bible actually can, is a decision-making manual. It shows where humanity has gotten decisions wrong, and it gives us wisdom on, on how we are to act or operate when we are put in situations that ask or challenge us to make a right decision. And, and again, as I was, I was contemplating Jesus, I was dealing with these issues that, that I wasn't sure how to deal with or, or what was wise or what was best. And God, through his wisdom, started teaching me anyone can make a bad decision. Uh, you can just be impulsive, self-centered. But to make a good decision, what does it take? It actually takes wisdom. And in, in, in many cases, finding something outside of yourself that is much bigger than you are. And this is, again, what we find in the Word of God. God's entire story is evidence that He has had a plan, and He made decisions to put this plan in place. Specifically this week, we're looking at the the part of the Apostles' Creed that speaks to the completed work of Jesus. It says, for our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered He died and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. 
Now, there's more to cover here. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives just actually unpacking the truths of this creed. And again, this is to align us with uh, the decisions that God made, but, but also shape our worldview into how we are to make decisions for the future. And in this passage, um, particularly, it notes that Jesus suffered. Last week, if you were here, Eric talked about the humanity of Jesus. And there is nothing like suffering to show uh, that, that, that Jesus encountered the human experience. He was the only one who walked on this planet who could have avoided suffering. But the rest of us, we will all encounter suffering in our lives um, through loss, through pain, through death. Uh, the, the, the world is a constant reminder that we were created for something greater than this world. And yet Jesus leaves the comfort of heaven and chooses to come and be a human, not only to, to live a, an enjoyable life, but to, uh, to suffer. And it is in Jesus' suffering that he meets us where we are at. It, it is we can understand when we suffer that we are aligning ourselves to a very present Savior who chose to draw near to us in our time of suffering. Also, the humanity that I love, I, I love that, that Jesus didn't grow up um, being raised as a philosopher. Greek and Romans of the time, they loved philosophy and they loved big ideas. And, and he actually didn't even go to rabbinical school uh, when he could have. He stayed as an apprentice to his his father, or, or, or actually his, his stepfather, Joseph, and he grew up as a carpenter. And a lot of people um, of the time looked down at menial or what we would call blue-collar or workforce work, but Jesus redeems this idea that we were created to work uh, unto the Lord. In, in Genesis, we get to see six days of work and a day of rest, and Jesus didn't just sit back and and mooch off his parents. He worked hard. He worked diligently. He understood the value of, of work. And, and we too are to learn that, that we are to work hard and, and to work diligently and understand the value of work. We see a story of, of Moses where Moses steps into something and he actually takes another person's life and then has to go off into the desert and be shaped for years and years and years before he can really step into his calling. And I get to work with a lot of young people, and they often ask, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? And, and, and what, is, what does God have for my life? And, and understanding that often takes years and years of being faithfulness. We need to learn to have joy in our work and, and to learn to be faithful and to decide to follow God day after day. And it is in doing those things that God speaks to us and calls us further into our calling. He did that with Moses, and he does that here with Jesus when he calls him out of um, the, the, the workshop to go into public ministry where he starts repenting, where he starts preaching, repent and believe. But Jesus ends up suffering. He suffers during that last week. He is, he is tortured, and he is ultimately crucified. Jesus suffered and Jesus died. But he said in John 12, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is prophesying his death 
but he's also prophesying that his death will be to the benefit of the world. He says, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I, I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus' death was, was opening up opportunity for the presence of God to be everywhere. And when, when, when the followers saw his death, they knew that this was an invitation not to, to experience Jesus no longer, but to experience him in a, a new way and in a greater way. Jesus' death fulfilled what was prophesied about him. And, and then Jesus was buried. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. We, we hear this at Resurrection Sunday every week, but we're invited through the creed to remember his body was prepared by those who followed him on the morning of the third day. His body was gone. Jesus had risen. He later appeared to his followers. He ate with them. He taught and encouraged them. And the doctor, Luke, he actually documents what happens approximately six weeks after his resurrection. In the book of Acts, he writes, On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here we see it again. Jesus is saying, I am going to die, but I will not leave you alone. Again, uh, humanity was given an opportunity in the garden to be in perfect relationship with God. And, and humanity rebelled against its creator. And, 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 and there was a flood. And again, humanity was given an option to partner with God. And, and, and humanity started, like we often do, doing our own thing and dividing wicked schemes. But God had a plan, and God doubled down on this plan when he decided, I am going to make a covenant with my people. And he makes a covenant that, that is an agreement, two parties coming together for one purpose. And this covenant is that together we will work together for the betterment of the earth. God's charge to us is, is to go out and, and, and to lead responsibly, to govern diligently, to be a blessing. And he says in Genesis 12 that through the people of God, he will bless many nations. And this was God's plan. In Genesis 17, we see um, Abram, before he's, he becomes Abraham, fall in a deep sleep. God uh, asks Abram to set up a covenant, and Abram knows that what he's supposed to do is walk through it. When two parties walk through a covenant, it's this agreement that if I fail, um, if one party fails, let me be put to death. Let me be cut in half like these two animals. Let me bleed like these two animals. But Abram is never actually asked to walk between the pieces. He wakes up or, or he's in a, in a slumber and he sees a fiery pot or a blazing furnace walk between the, the, the pieces. And, and if you're just reading this, this might just seem like another religious story. But what's going on here in, in light of God's plan is fascinating because God is saying, Abram, if you walked through the pieces, you would surely die. You couldn't keep your covenant. But I am going to walk through and keep my side of the covenant and keep your side as well. And what this means is when humanity fails, 
God says, I will take your failure upon myself. I walked between the pieces. Let me be beaten. Let me be broken. Let me die. God made a decision, and his decision was to partner with humanity, even though humans would get it wrong. And when we did get it wrong, he left heaven himself to fulfill his own promise and to take his own punishment upon himself. Why would he do that? Either he's crazy or he's loving. And you get to decide, which is he? Is he crazy? Is he distant? Is he out there? Can you do whatever you want because God doesn't care about you? Or is he loving? Is the word of God true? Are his promises true? Is he inviting you to experience him through the presence of his Holy Spirit in ways that you can, can only imagine? Because Jesus says it over and over that, that you will enter the kingdom of heaven through him and through him alone. But he invites us through the power of his spirit to, to live in a way that we are unable on our own. Luke then goes on um, after saying that, that after Jesus says that we will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he continues with the followers asking, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he says this, in front of these believers, it was said to be about approximately 120, he's taken up before their eyes. And why is this significant? It's significant because the, the followers of Jesus who earlier, when, when he was captured, were running for their lives and, and did not want uh, to be associated with Jesus, all of a sudden are willing to die. They saw something. They saw Jesus come back to life, and they saw him ascend to heaven. And this is what we celebrate in the creed. Jesus ascended to heaven. When he was on trial at the Sanhedrin, um, they were asking him um, whether or not he was uh, the son of God. And he says, but I say to all of you from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. The creed is, at this part of the creed, is celebrating like Christmas and Easter coming together for this constant uh, reminder of who we are and what we have been invited into. And um, as, as, I, as I begin to to believe that maybe, maybe God would allow me for this. And then as I got to see, oh man, this means that I have to make a difficult decision. I didn't know how to make that decision. And then I saw these words again, repent and believe. And again, the decision to repent is to simply say, God, not my will, but yours be done. God, not my way, but your way. It's not a shameful thing. Uh, it's not something that people should, should preach at people to, to make you feel bad about yourself. It is an invitational thing that, that says, wait, I get to come. I get to come, and I get to do life differently. I was super excited 
reading about the lives that had been changed, that had been upended in the book of Acts. The first time I went to church, I thought that it was going to be an incredible gathering of people who were so excited to gather around the glorious name of Jesus that they had gone from death to life and, and their life was suddenly have significance, and I was just going to walk in, and everybody was just going to be, oh, just overwhelmed. And, and it, it was in my early 20s. I just snuck into the back of this building. I didn't, even, I didn't know anyone there. I just wanted to see what, what they did, and, and uh, everyone was just kind of there. And I was convicted. I was like, God, is this what you've called us to? Is this why you came and died? Is this, is this the ultimate? And we need to know that there are young people leaving the church, and there are older people leaving the church, and there are people all over the country saying that they don't need the church. I want Jesus, but I don't, I, I don't want the church. And the problem with that is that Jesus' plan from the beginning to the end is about redeeming his people, which he calls the church. The church can be scattered, but we cannot believe in Jesus and not be part of his Church, we need to understand who the people of God are. And when we gather weekly, it's, it's part of God's plan. It's evidence that, that God knows what he's talking about and that he calls us, in spite of our differences, to come together and not focus on each other or not focused on our theological distinctions or our differences. Um, but this is why the creed is important, is it centralizes us around Jesus. And all of the angels in heaven are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. And they're never bored because they are just excited that they get to be part of, of uh, the presence of the Creator. And it gets better and better and better. And here I was in the back of this church just realizing that something was missing 20 six years ago when I first walked in. And we, there's nothing we can do about that. We can't go back in time and change that. But what we can do is we can be the people of God who understand the plan that he put in place with the Apostles' Creed and who decide, as far as it depends on me, Lord, I want to be fully yours. And you get that same decision. You get to decide to go from death to life. You get to go from self-centered to Christ-centered. You get to go from, from um, uh, a, a life on your own to life fully on God. And we're going to come to the table where we are reminded of God's plan, of what he did and what he fulfilled, of what life looks like, um, completely submitted and surrendered to him. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. God, thank you that but before um, the world was made, God, you decided as a good father, as a good God, that you would make a way for creation to know you. God, you didn't leave us alone. You left the comfort of heaven, Jesus, becoming a baby, experiencing the difficulties of humanity, weeping, crying with loss, loss of friendship. You understand pain, and then you suffered. God, you suffered for us. And now when we suffer, you suffer with us.
you died. But God, you didn't stay dead. You overcame death. And you told us the way that we could overcome death in and through you. Holy God. We can have new life with you. Life forever. You ascended. You took your rightful place back on the throne. God, we're created beings would forever praise you. And your kingdom has no end. You will judge, God, the living and the dead. And you judge rightly. Your judgments are pure. And God, when you judge me, I want to say, Lord, I throw myself into you. God, I can't accomplish life on my own. I'm sorry for the times that I've tried. God, I can't be good on my own. God, every day you give me an invitation. You're like fresh manna, fresh bread. And God, often I'm distracted. God, would you realign my heart, God, with my purpose? And would you realign every person here's heart around what you have created them for? Give them patience to endure whatever they're going through, if it's a difficulty or a trial, if it's just a time of quietness in the desert, if it's a time of rejoicing. God, you are here, and we thank you that you're here. We thank you for the table and the opportunity to come. Jesus, you said on the night you were betrayed, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Whenever you do this, remember me. And we choose, God. We decide to remember you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us? Would you lead us? We ask in your name.